Bogut to the rack and he jammed it. Oh my goodness. Blocked by Bogut. The Warriors' big man joins our big man. The Andrew Bogut Show with Mr. T. Now, here's Tom Tolbert. Ray Rado, Tom Tolbert with you. It is indeed time for the Andrew Bogut Show that we do once a week. He joins us courtesy of the Ring Central Guest Line. Andrew, what's going on, man? How much are you doing? Yeah, fantastic. Nice win last night. Uh, I always say when a team shoots that poorly, it's good defense and poor offense. And it seemed like in the past week, team, shots that were seemed to be falling at a much higher clip weren't falling last night. Yeah, I think we beat a bit of both yesterday. We played, we played pretty good D, but obviously we, we bit the bullet a couple of times. And, you know, Novak got three or four um, wide open looks, and, and even he was missing. He's one of the best shooters in the league. So I think it was a mix of both. Um, once their confidence wasn't as high, and we stuck with their defensive principles, um, they, just, they just couldn't score. How important to your defensive philosophy is mostly you, but you, David Lee, I mean, everybody needs to talk, but especially the guys that are in the back line because they can see things the guys ahead of them can't see. How important is communication to team defense? Uh, really important. Um, obviously, the, the guards, uh, first and foremost, want to hear the, the, the screens coming because um, we were discussing before, they, if they don't know it's coming, they might get hit or, or nailed or sometimes even hurt. So we want to make sure that they know um, there's a big guy coming to screen them and and uh, other than that, you just rotate, scramble around, and, and, and try to talk to each other. Um, we've done a pretty good job of that the last few games. Yeah, I was watching the – before we get back to the game, I was watching the big board last night, and you guys were talking about some of your your basketball heroes growing up, and yours was Drazen, the late Drazen Petrovic, who could – I mean, this guy could flat-out score with the best of them. I remember watching a international game, Andrew, with him and Oscar Schmidt from Brazil going at each other. Neither of them played a lick of defense, and I think uh, Drazen's team won. He had 52. Oscar Schmidt had 62. I mean, it was just like an absolute barn burner of an offensive game, but he was something else. I mean, tell us a little bit about you watching him growing up and then being one of the first international players to come here and not only play in the NBA but have success. Yeah, well, I think that was the most important thing. He was one of the first guys that didn't accept um, seeing on the bench. You know, most of the guys that came over were happy to be role players and just kind of, you know, collect their check and, and not cause too much problems. He came over here and, and he caused problems by saying, you know, I deserve to play, I'm good enough to play. So they shipped him out from Portland, he ended up in New Jersey and, and had a great, great few years and then obviously the tragedy happened. But um, I've, had a, I've had a chance to meet his mother a couple of times in Croatia and, and his father. And, um, you know, I know his brother pretty well as well over there. So I've uh, kind of, was pretty cool to, to try to, to meet the family, but obviously it's still, you know, it still burns over there in Croatia. Yeah. Right? People still talk about it this day and, and people still, you know, it's whenever you mention basketball, someone's going to mention um, Petrovic over there. Did you see the um, the documentary with uh, with Vladi Divac basically trying to relocate, um, you know, his background through Petrovic? I mean, did you did you get a look at that? Did that did that resonate with you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, it would have been great to hear Dragon's side of the story with a lot of that stuff too. Um, obviously, you know, you can't hear hear what he had to say or his opinion or or his um, view of the events. But nonetheless, it was a it was a great documentary, and uh, it was obviously you know pretty pretty in depth as well. Um, those years behind the are all pretty good. Does that still exist? Because I found it, the the part that I found interesting was guys that had played together, you know, on the national team, didn't communicate with one another, didn't talk to to one another. 
Does that animosity still exist? Do, do you know of? I mean, over there, you know, in certain places it does. I mean, I have, I have friends that are Serbian. One of my good friends plays plays in Russia. He's Serbian, and I grew up with him. But um, there is a lot of a lot of it tends to be the younger generation that that didn't you know necessarily grow up in that time. Generally, carry on that hatred even worse than, than their parents did. And I think a lot of people over there have moved on and kind of you know want to put food on the table for their families and worry about. Grudges, but it still is pretty fresh. You know that the war ended in 93, and then there was another assault in '95. So to think that happened, you know, in the last 15 years is, is pretty crazy. And when did you when did you leave uh, Andrew and go to Australia? Well, I was born in Australia. Okay. So, uh, my, my my parents both came over when they were about 16 years old, um, and you know, I basically had to either it was a situation where my grandfather had to had to kind of sneak out, otherwise he was going to be. Um, Essentially, you know, killed and mm-hmm. executed, and um, yeah, they ended up going through through Germany and ended up, you know, settling in Australia. Wow, uh, that's that's crazy. Yeah, real quick before we get back to the the Warriors, uh, you know, I notice a lot of uh, Argentinian players are now doing very well at the NBA level. Uh, you have uh, Manu Ginobili is probably the most famous. Skola is a pretty damn good player. You have three or four uh, others that were very, very good. But, you know, you go back to the day, and the one team that could challenge the, the dream team a little bit was the Yugoslavian team. You know, Kukoc, very good. Vladi Divac, uh, Drazen Petrovic, Stojakovic. I mean, a lot of very good players. When, when did basketball that you know of start becoming important over there? And is it still a big sport, or is the, the war over there, you know, done, done something to maybe uh, tear apart the national team to where it's maybe not as strong as it once was 20 years ago? Well, it's obviously not as strong because you've broken up. You've broken up six, you know, six, six, six or seven countries. Yeah. Um, were under Yugoslavia and have all gone their own way. Um, but basketball, I think, over there has definitely fallen off. Um, soccer's soccer's religion over there, and basketball second. But you know, through the late '80s and early '90s, of all the success that was, you know, um, in Croatia with, with Tony Kukoc and Drazen and so on, um, there was you know a, a cult following. But obviously. I think the, that, that that momentum they had kind of went with Drazen, you know, and then Tony kind of did his best to, to keep it alive. But um, basically, after the 2000s, it's 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 been um, diminished. Uh, the game last night uh, to change gears a bit. Games like that are so unusual. I mean, at it was there a point where you just started looking at your teammates and going, "God, they're they're hopeless tonight. They 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 can't." They can't do anything. I mean, th- does that ever enter into your mind? Are you so focused on what your team is doing that you almost don't notice how badly the Knicks are struggling? Well, we've, we've been in a position a few times this season where things just don't go right. Um, but, you know, as far as going into that game, even when we were up 20, kind of felt like the way we've been playing the last probably month or so, that, you know, hey, we, we stay focused because we've given up big leads. So um, I was kind of more of the mindset of, you know, when you stay on top of things, and then when there's two or three minutes left, and we're still up by 20, okay, we can take the foot off, foot off the gas. Um, the problem with the Knicks is they, you know, they, they shoot the most threes in the NBA. So um, whether you get a team like that down by 20 or 30 early on, you know, they make it. They make a quick run with four or five threes, um, and then the, the, you know the momentum's in their favor. So I kind of always am nervous when we get big leads, just because most teams, like you said, take their, take their foot off the gas and kind of relax, and then all of a sudden you're on your rhythm and. You know, you start it back in, and then, and then anything can happen. So they're tough games, but we'll definitely take game, more games like that because you know, um, most most of our starters got a little bit of rest towards the end, and, and, it, and it feels good to, to have 
you know, a win like that where from start to finish you dominate the game. When you look at the threes, which you guys have had trouble defending in the past week or so, I mean, Philly had 12. The Knicks had 11 the last time you played in the the Bucks had 13. At teams that were shooting high percentage uh, from the three-point line. When you look at that on tape, is it some guys are just hitting shots that they don't normally hit and they just happen to be hitting them against us? Is it not fully engaged in what we're doing defensively, not rotating out to the right shooters, not getting out there quick enough, a combination of all those? Because I know sometimes you can play good defense and you they take the shot you wanted to take and they just happen to hit those shots and then it looks like poor defense when in reality, you know, those are shots that you're willing to give up. What are what are some of the reasons that teams maybe struggled defending the three-point line recently? Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to put a finger on it. You know, some games we, we close out um, very well and they're knocking down shots. And then some games, I think, you know, we're so scared to give up drill penetration, which is what happened against the Bucks. You know, Monta was getting in the lane almost every position. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandon, you know, Brandon started getting in the lane as well. So then all of a sudden you kind of don't want to, you know, you don't, you don't want to leave your man and then they get an easy baskets and then all of a sudden you start helping and then they're, they're wide open for three. So it's kind of a tale of, you know, pick your poison. But, um, I think if we just keep playing like we did yesterday and just contesting shots, if, team, you know, if teams make contested threes, um, what we mean by contested is if you run to a three-point shooter, we, we want to leave our feet and get a hand up um, no matter what. That's a, that's a shot that we'll live with. Um, if you close out short and then you know don't leave your feet, you know most most players are going to make that shot. So we have a certain set of rules. If we stick to them and teams beat us, um, we'll take it on the chin. But otherwise, you know we have we have you know work to do in the film room and, uh, and practice the next couple of days. I think I may have said this, although I try not to, because I hate when announcers say this, don't foul the jump shooter. It's like, I hate that because I, I want to say, well, I'm not trying to foul the damn guy, right? I'm not trying to go out there and foul him. But as you say, a lot of times if you close out and you don't leave your feet and at least try to get in the guy's vision, then that guy's going to make that shot. If they know you're not going to come out and fly at him, they're just going to take it, tee it up, and hit that shot more often than not. Now, there's a right way to go at it. I mean, the right hand to use and try to fly on the shooting side to try to, but does that bother you? I don't know why it bothers me because I don't think anybody actually goes out there trying to foul a jump shooter, but you do need to try to get in his airspace a little bit to help him, you know, either see you or feel like you do have a chance to go after the ball. Yeah, especially when they hit, you know, the last couple, you, you always want to, you know, uh, say you have help and then all of a sudden you realize, hey, I left my man open and then you close that extra hard because you don't want coach to be on you for leaving him open again and you kind of compound a mistake with a mistake. But there's a lot of clever guys in the NBA too, don't forget. Um, there's a lot of guys that, that tend to keep their legs out when they shoot threes. They tend to, you know, um, entice contact and, and over-exaggerate it when they're shooting the ball. So um, there's, there's a lot of different aspects that get, you know, jump shooters fouled. Um, we have, we've had a couple of situations where guys have, you know, blatantly ran through guys, which you need to address. But yeah. a lot of times there's some, some smart guys that literally, you know, they'll, they'll put their feet out and kick you and then fall over and it looks like you've hit them. And that's just, you know, part of the game. The old Reggie, Reggie Miller play. As you're going by, you stick your foot out and let him hit you and, and get yourself to the free throw line. Hey, wh- what about Coach Jackson? What about his coaching style resonates with with you and that he's played the game, but, you know, he's not like a lot of coaches. I, I mean, I played with your former coach, Scott Skiles, who's an absolute maniac but <laughs> coach jackson is he is he's psycho i mean that's just he's very he's brilliant he knows basketball but he's psycho i played with the guy he was uh he was a nutball but uh does that resonate with you that you know you, sometimes maybe you need need to be challenged a little bit by a coach but jackson doesn't want to do that i mean he treats you guys like men he treats you with respect i mean does that resonate with you and the team you think 
Yeah, it does, and, and he, he rewards you know good effort with with you know good things, and and obviously when, when we have bad games, he'll let us know. So I think if you can just hold guys accountable um, when, they're, when they're not doing well, and then reward them when they when they're doing well, I think guys respect that. Um, and he's he's done a great job for us this season, and I think the guys are really related to him being a being a players coach. Hey, before we let you go, we're uh, we're trying to come up with an all an all-crazy guy team that would be fun as hell to watch. I don't know if you'd like to play for this team, coach this team, or just watch this team, but we had uh, we had JaVale McGee at center, DeMarcus Cousins at four, Ron Artest at three, Vernon Maxwell at two, uh, Jason Williams, formerly White Chocolate, at the one, and we had Ricky Davis and Latrell Sprewell, Chris the Birdman Anderson on the team. Would you uh, think you might enjoy coaching that squad? You know Dennis Rodman in there? Dennis Rodman, yes, he was. I forgot. I'm sorry. He was actually absolutely on that team. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You, you want to watch, but you probably want to sit in the in the uh, upper bowl just in case something breaks out. <laughs> Aren't you worried that's too close? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe just stay at home and watch it on TV. <laughs> oh, it would be a fascinating watch. There is no doubt about that. Hey, Andrew, thank you very much. We always enjoy the uh, participation in the show. Nice win last night. Uh, best of luck against Detroit and Chicago to close out the homestand. And we'll talk to you again next week, man. No worries, thanks. All right, take it easy, Andrew.